You guys ready to dive in this morning? So this one, this is a tough one, man. It, it was it was great to study, uh, but it's it's one of those like I feel like we're gonna go through like seminary 101 this morning. Are you guys ready for that? Mike's ready, right? So we're good. So Mark chapter 12 verse 35 is we're gonna be this morning. If you guys want to grab your Bibles, if you don't have one, have take the one at the end of the row. If somebody already took it, took it from take it from them, right? So, but uh, Mark chapter 12. As we walk through Mark, we've seen Jesus in his public ministry. We've seen his power. We've seen his authority. We've seen him teach. We've seen him show that he is God, that he's the Savior, the promised Messiah. And we get to Mark chapter 11. We've, we've been here in the last few weeks in Mark chapter 11 and 12. But in, in 11, we see Jesus begin his last week of his earthly ministry. And he had his triumphal entry. And right after that, he observes the temple. Ginormous building right there, a, a place of prayer and worship, a, a place to point other people to the one true God. Uh, and Jesus, as he observed, he saw that that place really, they were abusing that. It become a place of extortion, a, a den of robbers, a den for robbers. And for, for many, they would just pass through like it was no big deal, like it's just a shortcut. And, and they missed that they were in the presence of God. And so Jesus went in and, and turned tables and did it, did it righteously, did it in a good way, right? And just turned tables and, and cleaned house in there. Uh, I had a moment the other day, I was driving to the uh, um, the air show, waited in line, driving for 45 minutes, just sitting there, and I wish I had a righteous moment. Some guy pulled right in front of me and didn't wait at all, and so I had a repentance moment right there, you know, you, I'm the only one, right? Nobody else gets that way? Okay. But Jesus didn't sin, man. He was good. And so the religious leaders, they, they, they had already been upset with Jesus, but they began to confront Jesus and question him, trying to trap him or, or find some way to get rid of him. The Bible tells us earlier that they were trying to destroy and kill him. And so they keep coming at him over and over and over again. And so at, in this last week, you have the Pharisees. They first come in and they, they challenge his authority, Right? And then they come, and, and Jesus kind of shows them what's going on there. And then they, there was a group known as, as the Herodians that come with, uh, with, the, with the Pharisees. They come to Jesus again, and they, they try to trap him up and, and get him in trouble with either the people that are following him or the, the government with Rome. And they ask, man, about, about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, give to Caesars what's his, right? His image is on there. But then he says, but render to God, give to God what's his. We are all made, whether you want to admit it or not, we are all made in the image of God. And so we belong to him. So give God what is his. Give God all of you. And then after that, the Sadducees, they come up to Jesus. The Sadducees are a little bit different. They, they're more higher, upper class. They, they, they don't believe in, they only, they only believe in the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's it. And so they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe a need for a savior, they don't, they don't uh, believe in eternal life for, for us, that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. And so they come to Jesus asking him a question and trying to prove him wrong when it comes to the resurrection and eternal life. And Jesus, again, time and time again with all these challenges, he, he really shuts them up, church, right? He proves them wrong. And, and then last week... We have a, a, a single scribe, one scribe, not a group of them, but a single scribe comes to Jesus and asks him a question. I truly believe this is the only real question, the only question with good intentions. And he comes to Jesus and he says, which is the greatest or the foremost commandment? Now keep in mind, out of the Pentateuch, the first five books, there were 613 commandments. A lot of times we think commandments, we think ten. Right? There were 613 commandments and they all had different categories and groupings. And, and they're like, which one is... The greatest. And Jesus tells them, the foremost is here, O Israel. 
The Lord our God is one. So, so they're affirming who God is and he's the one true God. In verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Right? So love God with all of who we are. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So because we love God with all we are, we then love others as he loves. Are you with me, church? Man, we, we, we love others. And so as we come to our text in Mark chapter 4 this morning, it's now Jesus' turn to ask a question, beginning in verse 35. So make sure, Mark chapter 12, verse 35, and what we're going to see is that Jesus doesn't just ask any question. He asks a question concerning his identity. And he's going to point him back to Psalm chapter 110, and he's going to make it clear just who he is. And so as we read this this morning, we're going to look at at two different transitions. We're going to look at Jesus making this statement and asking this question. Then we're going to look at how the the religious leaders have responded to who God is. And then we're going to look at the widow and how she responded to who God is. So let's, let's read that together. It's a little bit longer. I'm not going to have you guys stand this morning. But let's honor God's word and read that this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through the end of the chapter. And Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, so inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David calls himself, David David himself calls him Lord, so in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes. This is that first transition. Beware of the scribes who like to talk or walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. So this is another transition. And many people were putting in large sums. Verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he, Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, or their excess, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. We stand here this morning in awe. We sit here this morning. We're here this morning in awe of who you are. God, as we hear from your word this morning, help us realize who you are and how much you deserve from us, the priority that you deserve in our life because of who you are. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us, me as I, as I teach and, and the church, as, as we just hear from you, God, this morning from the word of God, we pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here different. So we ask, God, that each of us, that you would be in charge of each of us this morning and teach us and help us be receptive to that. God, we, we're grateful for you, we love you, and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Jesus is teaching in the temple. The Pharisees were present. Just kind of picture this. The Pharisees are there. There's a very large crowd present. This is a ginormous place. This is a place where a lot of people would have been at. A lot of people were there and they're listening. And Jesus had been on the receiving end of the questions all day. And it's now his turn. Now keep in mind, we've taken weeks to walk through these questions. But this has all happened in one day for Jesus. Right? This is, this is a long day. 
And so it's now Jesus' turn, and he asks a question that's going to help them, using a popular passage, it's going to help them see who he is, see his identity. When Jesus asked his disciples who he was, do you guys remember that? He, he says, who do others say that I am, and then who do you say that I am? Right? And, and, and Peter responds, and he says, you are, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the promised Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And what he means by that he is, is you, are, you are God the Son. Right? You, you are, right? Are you with me, church? And so he kind of confesses that. It's known as the messianic confession. You're the, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And by the way, just so you know, we all have to answer that question. It's not how our grandparents answer the question or how our parents ask or how our spouse answers or how our kid answers that question. Each one of us has to personally respond to that question. Who is Jesus? And what's your response to him going to be? And that, your answer to that will determine your eternity, the Bible tells us. Do we believe in Jesus and who he is and receive him, or will we reject him? So beginning in verse 35, Jesus begins to say, and Jesus begins to say, as he taught in the temple, so he asked this question, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So Mark doesn't give us as much detail as Matthew does. Here's what Jesus asked right before that in Matthew 22:42. Jesus asked, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about this promised Messiah? What do you think about this Savior that, that is coming? Whose son is he? And the response is this. They said to him, the son of David. And so therefore he asked, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, and he knows that they believe that the promised Messiah, the, the, the Christ, the, the, the Savior, is from the line of David. Why is that important? Right? We're going to talk about that. We, we just read the response. They know from Scripture that, that, he is from, that he's going to be a descendant of, of David. This doesn't mean that when he says the son of David, it doesn't mean that King David's his dad. Are you guys with me, church? He's a, he's in a descendant of, of David, and that's where the Messiah is going to come from. So Jesus is affirming that, that he's from the line of David, just as Scripture promised. We, actually, we see that in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. What's it say? The son of David. There we go, the son of Abraham. So as part of his identity, we see that coming from the line of David, Jesus is fully man, church. Jesus is fully man. Philippians 2.7 affirms that Jesus, uh, we, we, it, it tells, tells us about Jesus telling us that he emptied himself. So Jesus, I just need to be very clear, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus' life. Jesus was there at creation, he was there before creation, and he's going to be there for eternity. Are you with me, church? Man, he was never, he's never a created being. So in Philippians 2.7, it affirms that, telling us that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. So we have to recognize the identity of Christ, and we need to recognize that part of his identity is that he is fully man. He's fully man. And as a man, the Bible tells us that Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses, right? Because he was tempted in every way. Can you think about that? Jesus was tempted in every way that you are. But here's the difference, yet he did not sin. Throughout his life, we see the humanity of Jesus. He gets it, church. He understands what we're going through. As a human being, he hurt. He cried. He had joy. He hungered. He got tired because he's fully man. And so Jesus asked him that question, but he's going to take it a little bit further. Why? Because those leaders only believe that this coming Messiah is just a man. That they just think he's just going to be a man. That he's going to be a political or military leader just as his predecessor, I guess you'd say, just as David was. 
The problem is, is that seeing this coming Messiah, seeing Jesus as only human, that's the, that's the problem. In fact, even, even people that don't follow Jesus believe that he was quite the man. Right? Bless you. Throughout history, I mean, you look at our, our history books prove that Jesus was a man. There's, there's no doubt about that. People throughout history, leaders, philosophers, teachers, they're always pointing back to Jesus. There's a philosopher well-known in the 1800s uh, known as Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he was, he was very well-known as not being a believer or a follower of Christ. I just want to lay that out there. And he says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the most perfect of all the men that have yet appeared on the earth. That's a great statement. But he just sees him as a man. Many throughout history see Jesus, see the, see the Christ, the Messiah, as just a man. They may call him the best of men, but they fall short because they call him nothing more than that. We've already seen in Mark, there were many that thought Jesus was the guy. He is the guy, but they thought that he just came to be that political and military savior to get him out of the oppression of Rome. Just a man. And now we have these religious leaders right here in front of Jesus Men that saw Jesus, saw what he did, heard his teaching, saw the evidence. They knew the evidence was there, but they refused to admit that he was more than just a man. And Jesus is about to challenge that based off of a psalm that they would have known very well, Psalm 110. And we're going to see that their answer was right in a sense that the Messiah, the Savior, is fully man. He's from the line of David. But we've got to get this right. He's only partial, they're only partially right. Are you with me, church? They're only, they're only partially right. They fell short. And so Jesus is going to point out that the promised Messiah is fully man, but he's much, much, much more than that. Look at what he does here. He says this. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So we're talking about his humanity. And then he states, David himself said in the Holy Spirit. So he's inspired by God. David himself said, the Lord said to my Lord. It's a very important phrase right there. Sit at my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because at first you read that and it might seem a little confusing. David, are you kind of having a little moment here? Like, did you not get enough sleep? Right? Like, what are you saying? The Lord, right, spoke to my Lord. But Jesus is just really straight talking with these guys here. He's saying, you all trust that there is coming this, this promised Messiah, right? Like he's having this conversation with them. And, and you believe that this, this Messiah is coming through the line of David, right? So he's fully man, right? But you missed this part where David is talking about that same Messiah and David tells us that he's much more than just a man. So what is he saying? He's quoting Psalm 110. I want to take a look, really good look at this. We see that David said this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, when he says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now in English, they both say Lord, right? The Lord said to my Lord. But those are two different words. They're two different words. The first and the second Lord are two different words. The first Lord is a word used for Yahweh, right? That's what he's saying right there, Yahweh, which is God's covenant name, right? Actually, it's Yahweh, right? They would leave the, leave the, uh, the vows out, but, but it's, it's, it's Yahweh. So the first one is Yahweh, and the second one is, is, is Adonai, right? So are you with me? I'm getting some looks, all right? So, so you have, I don't know, man, I just... We're just going to go for it, right? So you have Yahweh said to Adonai. And Adonai is another name for God, meaning master or Lord. So you've got Yahweh speaking to Lord. Are you with me, church? Like, this is great. Right, here's what David is saying. Lord number one is talking to Lord number two. Yahweh is talking to Adonai. Like, this is good stuff. Like, how did you guys miss this? And so 
We're going to see what, what's happening here. God the Father is talking to the Messiah, to God the Son. That's what's happening here. So here's, here's where we are already. Jesus and the religious leaders, they already agree that Christ is coming through the line of David. Tracking with me? All right. Known it, right? He's coming as the, as the son of David, right? So he's going to be fully man. But here we see that he's also David's Lord, right? Meaning he will be more than just a man. So David says, God said to my Lord, God, the, Yahweh said to Adonai, right? God said to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. This is how we see him identified as the Messiah. We see in other places of scripture to sit at the right hand of the Father is the ultimate place of, of, of authority and honor. Who sits there? Jesus sits there, right? Where are we at? I just lost my spot. All right. Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, Colossians 3.1 says this, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Say this with me. Where Christ is. Where is he? Seated at the right hand of God. That's who David's talking about. God the Father's God talking to God the Son. Are you with me? David was talking about Jesus, the Messiah here. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. You're right, the promised Messiah. He's fully man, right, because he's from the line of David, but he's more. The Messiah is also Lord. He's God. So the Messiah is not only the son of David, but he is also the son of God. And he's also David's Lord. He is God in the flesh. Jesus carries that name Emmanuel, which means what, church? God with us. So he's fully man and he's fully God. He is divine, he is Lord, and he is the promised Christ. He's the Messiah. And in verse 37, Jesus says, David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Church, don't miss this. Jesus is not just fully man. It's important that he's fully man so he can identify with humanity. But he's the Messiah, he's Lord, he is God, church. If we look at him any less, we are missing who Jesus is. Jesus is making that clear to the religious leaders here that you've missed me, right? They have Jesus, the promised Savior, the Messiah. They, they have God in the flesh right in front of them. And Jesus is letting them know, hey, David knew it, right? He even wrote about it in Psalm 110. You're supposed to know this stuff, but you missed it. You missed it. You're missing who I am or you're just rejecting me. You're missing who I am or you're rejecting me. He's telling them, I came to be God with you as the Messiah. And I am fully man, but not just man, but I am also 100% fully God. So Jesus, he publicly states, I'm the promised Messiah. I am Lord. I am God. And then he transitions. And Jesus is teaching. There's a transition here a little bit. I've got to be honest with you. I would have loved to have this over three different sermons, but we're going to knock it out in one. Are you guys, you guys good with that? But in this second part, Jesus really begins to call out these religious leaders. Think about who these guys were. They, were. they were men that had authority. They had position. They had the responsibility to teach the word of God, to point others to God, to care for God's people, to help them, right, to help them look for the coming Messiah. Are you with me, church? And as leaders and scribes, they should have picked up on the reality that the Messiah and the Savior that they have been waiting for is right there in front of them. But they were too worried about their own authority. They were too worried about their power and their clout. They refused to believe in who Jesus is. And so they rejected them. And here's, here, they rejected him. And here's the hard part. They also led a lot of other people astray. 
And Jesus calls him out for it in verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, beware of the scribes. And really at that point, he's talking to the crowds. The religious leaders are right there, but he doesn't. He didn't care. He just calls him right out. That's a, that's a public warning, church. He's saying, hey, crowd, listen up. And Jesus begins to expose their hypocrisy and their hearts. In fact, in Matthew's account, we see that Jesus said this phrase over and over and over again. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. When he says woe, just know how important that word is. When he says woe, that is an interjection of both grief and anger, and it's a public condemnation of them. He is publicly condemning them with, with both grief grief and anger. If you want to read more of that out of Matthew chapter 23, there's a little more detail in there. But in his teaching, he begins to call them out for their hypocrisy, for their lies, their false teaching, and their misleading of God's people. And he calls them out for their hearts. Church, we need to see something here. Jesus is going right after false teaching and false motives. Teachers and leaders, pastors, they have an opportunity to open up God's word and open up their lives and point people to God and to Jesus. Amen, church? And point people to the life that Jesus calls us to live. And I got to tell you, man, we take that seriously at Authentic Life Church. Man, we want to stay true by the grace of God. We want to stay true to his word and lead others to follow him. Am I going to mess up? Amen, right? Yes, everybody? Okay. Okay. My mother-in-law saying yes. No, I'm just kidding. But our goal is to remain faithful to the word of God and teach that. And Jesus, with these religious leaders, because he sees the the seriousness of them, he just lets them have it. Listen to this, verse 38 through 40. Beware of the scribes. That phrase literally means to be watchful and guard against their evil influence. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. So we're going to walk through this. When they would wear long robes, they were really kind of shouting out with their clothing that they were, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm a devout and noted scholar. That's, that was the idea, right? It was a look at me type of thing. He said that they liked respectful greetings in the marketplace. Everybody likes respectful greetings. What's Jesus saying here? It means that they expected people to rise and honor them by calling them by their proper title when they came into the marketplace. Stop what you're doing, stand up, and just give that person, are you with me, church? Man, they demanded that. He says that they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. The best seat in the synagogue was was on a bench towards the front, close to the chest that had sacred scrolls in it. It was reserved for those with power and those that were in leadership, and they took those seats every single time. They demanded places of honor at the banquet table. So at that point, the, the, spo- the, the, spoits, the spots closest to the, to the... I'm on three and a half hours of sleep. I just need you guys to be gracious with me this morning, okay? The spots that were closest to the host right there, they were, they were, they were considered the most honorable. And Jesus is saying, beware of these men. They are all about the show. It's the look at me show. Look what I'm doing. They miss the teaching when Jesus says to be last is to be first, right? Then Jesus says, beware of the scribes in verse 40 who devour widows' houses. This is a big deal, church. Let's not miss this. We're going to see a widow here in a minute, but this is a big deal. A widow, it's probably the biggest picture besides a fatherless child of someone that was helpless and vulnerable, Women that that needed to be cared for and protected and looked after and not taken advantage of. But Jesus says that these religious leaders, church, they devoured the widows' houses. Here's what happened. 
Often, scribes would serve as estate planners for widows because of their knowledge. And it was a duty that should have come with honor and humility and respect for that lady and their family and their past husband. Are you with me, church? They had that responsibility. But they often took advantage of that role and greed took over. These women trusted these leaders and they would often convince these distraught widows that they needed to give more to the temple. And you know where that money went? It went right into their pockets. They would often mislead these ladies and convince them, hey, to earn God's favor, you need to give more. And keep in mind, with no husbands, these ladies, they had very little. They were very vulnerable. And in some cases, these widows would would be convinced to sign their property over to the scribe. When they died, why for repayment of their service, leaving their children with nothing? They dismissed Jesus' teaching of loving God and loving neighbors as yourself. That's why Jesus says, beware, right? Then he says, beware of their long prayers. For appearance sake. These religious leaders would would lead these public prayers and they were long and loud and they were er, er, elegant and probably arrogant, right? But it's all about the show with them. But Jesus knew that their prayers were empty and hypocritical. I don't know about you guys, but anybody love hearing kids pray? Yeah, I just love it, man. That's one thing that I love probably most as a dad is leading my kids in prayer, reading the Bible with them and listening to them pray and just listening to them talk to God. When I pray with my boys, they, they have their time of prayer. and It's, it's funny. I mean, this, this, listen to them. It's great. They lose focus. You know, they're praying, and you get this long pause, and it's like, what's she doing, man? They're just, they got distracted, right? They start talking to God about their toys and, and the shows that they like. They, they start talking about, you know, their size with the Raphael and Ninja Turtle stuff. It's like, it's great. Like, and I just listen to them, right? The other day, my, my second oldest son prayed for every single name he could think of. I was in that room for like 30 minutes, guys. Like, it was great. In fact, I bet every single one of you guys were prayed for in here. I'm not even kidding you. Like, Brody just went, my second oldest son just went to town. Like, he just, he just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I love hearing that. Why? Because in their prayer, it's not about the show or the attention. It's just them talking to God. Jesus is really saying some things that we need to hear this morning, church. For us, is it about the attention that we get? When we serve, or when we pray, or when we lead, or whatever it is that we're doing, is it about, do we crave that recognition? Do we demand and seek the status, or do do we flaunt our position? Do we miss the opportunity to serve because we want that place of honor at the banquet? Heart check for me this week, what's your motivation? Right? What's our motivation and why we work and serve and teach and worship? Man, you are where you are because God has allowed you to be where you are. It's all about, is it all about Jesus in your life or is it all about us? Is our identity in Christ like we just sang about or is it in how others see us? I had a job, church, I'm I'm still repenting over this one, man. I, I had a job that brought a lot of respect and clout and authority. And my identity became all about that job. People would ask me who I, tell me about you, and I just went straight into my job. I didn't tell them about Jesus. I didn't tell them about my wife. I didn't, those, all, those came down the road. It was about what I did. My identity became all about that job, what I could get out of that job. What can I tell, uh, who, who can I tell about my job? It was all about me and what I did, and I wanted others to know it. Anybody else been there, right? Just, okay, a few, okay, good. It didn't leave me hanging, right? And, and I forgot, even in the workplace, in all areas of life, it's all about God. 
right? It's all about who Jesus is and the fact that he allowed me that place of employment. Why? To bring him glory and honor. Anybody else with me out there? Are you guys with me, church? Sometimes we forget that our identity isn't in what we do or what our title is, but that it's, it's in that we are loved by God and that we belong to him. That's our identity, church. We were created in the image of God, and he came to save us. And so as Jesus teaches, he points those things out in the, in the leaders and says those things, uh, he says all those things about them that everybody's listening. He says, beware of them. For us, let's beware of it in our own life. We can get really good at saying, man, I'm not a Pharisee. There's Pharisee in all of us, guys. Are you with me, man? Let's be aware of that in our own life. Beware of what we do and why we do it. And he warns them at the end of verse 40, talking about these hypocritical leaders. He says, these will receive greater condemnation. That's a big deal. The Bible says in Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. James 3.1, not many, it says this, not many should become teachers, talking about within the church and that, that type of role. Not many should become teachers, my brothers. Why? Because you know that you will receive a stricter judgment. The words that come out of your mouth, man, God holds you accountable to that when you teach his people. Are you with me? These men had a great role and a great responsibility given, them, given to them by God, and many of them abused it, and they really missed why they were doing what they were doing. Danny Aiken says in his commentary, God will judge with special severity, hypocritical religious leaders who strut like peacocks, abuse the less fortunate, and traffic in false worship that is all show and no substance. It's true. And so these scribes and Pharisees, what was their response to who God is, right, to to God and who he was? They pretend to worship him. They pretend to worship God, but it was all show. It was all about them. It was all about what they were entitled to and not what they could bring to God. They missed that it was all about knowing who God is and loving him with all they had and and loving their neighbor as themselves. It was all about loving themselves and what they got out of it. So they pretend to worship God. Why? Because they liked others around them following them and listening to them. They looked super holy. And because they weren't actually worshiping, about worshiping God, they missed who was right in front of them. Church, it was their job to teach and point people to God and to the coming Messiah, and he's there. He's right in front of them, and they rejected the one that came to save them, church. Their response to who Jesus is was they rejected him. They pretend to worship God, and they rejected the promised Christ. They rejected Christ. Church, they were so worried about their life, and they were worried about their authority and being in charge, and they missed God. And their teaching and the rejection is still prevalent today. We find people all over the place, even in churches, that confess to know God and be saved, but they only pretend to worship God. We see leaders abuse their roles, don't we? We see people hypocritical. On Sundays, just think about this, on Sundays they, they look the part, they, they say the words maybe better than most, but they're only pretending because as soon as they leave, it's no longer about Jesus. It's about whatever they want to do. And still today, with all the evidence of a loving God, with all the evidence of Jesus in our lives and his coming to save us, many still choose to reject Christ. They reject him as Lord of their life. Jesus knew these religious leaders were fake. And he knew that many followed them and were led astray, so he just just lays into them, church. 
He just lets them have it. So Jesus, by the way, because of who God is, we know it's in love, right? So Jesus shows them from Psalm 110 that he's fully man, but that he's also fully God, that he's the, the Messiah, the Savior that they need. And then he points out how the scribes responded to God, and now Jesus transitions once again into a discipleship moment with his own disciples. Are you with me so far? Are, we, are you guys keeping up? All right. As they, they've got a, they witness a widow, the Bible says that, that she was a poor widow, and we're going to see her response to who God is. Verse 41, and he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. So Jesus and the disciples are, are sitting in the temple in an area known as the court of women. If you guys were here when we showed that picture, there's, it's, it's a place that's open to everybody, okay? That's where the women would worship, but it was open to everyone, and that's where the treasury was located. And so they're sitting there, uh, and they're watching that. In that treasure, there would be 13 different trumpet-shaped receptacles. Like we pass a basket, they had these trumpet-shaped receptacles uh, where people would give their money. There were all different types of offerings, and so these 13 things represented those. They were small at the, at the top, they had their neck, and then more open at the bottom. And what would happen is people would go up to those receptacles, and they would drop their coins in. And the goal, really, for the rich people that we're going to show off is how much noise can I make? by how much money I drop in. And they're seeing these people and, and how much, these rich people, how much that they gave. And they gave much. Then in verse 42, Jesus sees the wealthy people come and, and give and give a lot of money. And now we're going to see quite the opposites. It says, A poor widow came and put in two small, two small copper coins which amount to a cent. So you have these rich people that come in. In their society, they would obviously have a lot of money. They would have land. They would have property. They would have, they would have had clout. Are you with me, right? They would, they would be respected. They were not considered vulnerable at, at, by any means. But this lady, not only is she a widow, so she's vulnerable in that sense, but she's poor. So completely vulnerable, not having a place in society. She would have been considered at that time amongst the least of these in society. And she comes in and she gave two small copper coins. Now, we've talked about this before, like a Roman denarius was worth about one day's worth of labor. Are you with me? Think about that. Whatever, whatever you make, you know, divide it by 360-something. I don't know. I'm not the math guy. But so, so that's what they, that's, that was the, a normal wage. But it's understood that, that two small copper coins would have been equivalent to one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Are you with me? But she comes and she gives. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach. He had just clobbered the religious leaders with truth they needed to hear about their hearts and their intentions and their motives and really their lack of trust in God, church. And now seeing this lady in verse 43, he, he gathers his, calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, let's hear this, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. How does that make any sense? Doesn't Jesus know economics? Right? Are you, are you with me? Like He saw the wealthy put in a lot of money, and she only put in two small copper coins. But, but being God and knowing her heart and knowing her situation, Jesus says, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. It's like he's saying with the rich church, it's like he's saying this, that they, they paid their mortgage. Their groceries, their cable bills, the, they paid for a night out bowling with the guys or axe throwing, right, man? Like they're out there doing those things. They had their EGs and their Domino's pizza and they, and they went through their entire budget. And then out of what they had left, out of everything they had gone through, out of what they have left, they gave to God. 
But this woman, she gave first. She gave first. Before anything else, she decided in her heart to trust God and give all she had. How does she respond to who God is? She truly worships with all she has. And for her, this was quite the sacrifice because Jesus says that she put in all she owned. Often when we do our own budgets or when we get our paychecks, we, 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 we think about all the other things that we need and want, don't we? And that's just human nature. Like, what can I spend out of what I've earned? And then if there's anything left, then it's time for us to give to God. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there. You, just, you, you, you do what you want and what you need, and then you give to God. I've been there before. And what a contrast here. The religious leaders were taking advantage of God's people, right, to fill their uh, pockets. Then you have the rich only giving out of their excess. And then we see this woman giving to God first out of her poverty. How did she respond to God? She gave it all to him. When we begin to realize, church, that God already owns it all. When we begin to believe that truth that all belongs to God, it is a game changer in your life. We already heard Jesus say, give to God what's his, right? We belong to God. And here's the reality. All that we have already belongs to God. Our money, our time, our resources, our family, our job, our relationships, our positions, our very lives, they belong to God. So why not trust him with our money and our times and our positions and our jobs? and our? Are you with me, church? They already belong to him. Why not trust him? Why not trust him with our very lives? Because we like to have control of things, right? We like to, we like to be in charge. We like to, to have control, but it is all God's anyway. So, so trust him with all you have. Not second or third or even out of your excess. Trust God first. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? A few verses later in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word first speaks of priority. Because of who God is and because we are his, we can trust him first and we can trust him with all, with all, with our lives, church. This is the woman's response to who God is and that is to be our response. Jesus says that she gave, this is important, that she gave all she had to live on. That phrase, had to live on, is from the, the Greek word bios. Why is that important? Because it means life. She gave her life. She trusted God with her life. We can trust God with our life. Church, there's a, there's a lot packed in here, isn't there? And there's just a lot to walk through. Jesus first teaches the religious leaders that he's not just man, but that he is truly God in the flesh, and he is Lord, and that he is the Christ, he is the Savior. And then we see two responses to who God is. You have the, the leaders of Israel who pretend to worship, they pretend to serve God, they pretend to honor God with their lives, they pretend to lead people into the will of God and the knowledge of God, but they showed the response ultimately was that they trusted themselves and their own systems over God. I think it gets quiet during those moments because we all have that. But I, I pray that we all want this. I want to pursue this. I'm, I'm not there. When we see this woman's response to God, she showed, even with a flawed religious system and religious leaders and being taken advantage of, that she fully trusted in who God is. And for that, she, for us, church, she examples discipleship. She sees God, she follows God, she trusts God, and she lives for God. 
And Jesus sees her as an example to show his disciples that she gave all she had. She gave her life and trusted God. And church, as, as we know, and we're going to celebrate in a few weeks, Jesus also came to give his life. Are you with me, young people? Young people, are you with me? Jesus came to give his life for you and me. If we know Christ this morning, if you're saved, if you're, a, if you're a part of the family of God, how will you respond to this word this morning? Will you leave here thinking, you know what, I'm good. This message wasn't for me, it was for Charles. Right? I'm just picking on you because you're in the front row. Are you with me? This, this is just for Pastor Jeff. Like He had to go through that himself, and so we're all good. I'm, I'm good. I don't, this wasn't for me this morning. Or will you leave here allowing God to teach you and challenge you and grow you as you trust in him completely? Will you say God exposed the pharisaical beliefs and, 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 and ways that I live in my life. Are you with me, church? What, what's in me that looks like the Pharisees? And God, how can I pursue a life where I give my life to you? That's our response to who God is. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you might say, man, I've been religious my whole life. You don't get it. My grandma was this. My mom was this. I've been to church more times than, than more days than you've been alive. I get it. I'm not that old. I get that. But the Bible doesn't say anywhere in Scripture to go to church and get the check marks and the stickers and the stars saves you. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want eternal life like we talked about in the last couple weeks? You've got to know Jesus. You have to have a personal relationship. Jesus at one point will be standing there. He'll either say, like, welcome home, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Or he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. If you're sitting here today, I don't care if you're five or if you're 105, have you given your life to Christ? Have you surrendered your life and given him your life and called him Lord? Romans 10 says that if you, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from, or if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and he's Lord. I messed that up a bit, but you get that. Man, he, he died and he rose again. And he's Lord. Whether we want to admit it or not, the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you with me? So for us as a church, man, let's not live as the Pharisees. Let's identify those areas in our life where we need to repent of that and let's live like this gal where she was able to give all, even out of her, out of her poverty. It's all God's. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, man, he loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved you, put your name in there, that if you believed in him, you won't perish, you won't spend eternity in hell separated from God, but you have everlasting life. Is today the day that God is drawing you near and, and, and wants to save you? Will you respond with obedience? Will you respond and ask God to save you this morning? Let's pray.